Good morning to all of you, and especially those on the broadcast also. It's good to be here on the, the day that we celebrate as the Lord's birthday. And I can say Merry Christmas to everyone. I've come here today to give you a gift. I'd like you to listen intently today. Um, I have a very somber, serious spirit today. It's quite different than my normal spirit. Um, but if you will bear with me, I think you will receive the gift that God has for you. In Romans chapter 15, one verse, verse 13, it says this. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is called the God of all hope. Hope. One scripture says the world does not have hope. But today, if you believe in Jesus Christ, there's one thing that you have different than the world, and that is the gift of hope. And I want you to leave here today with that gift, but I want it to be revived in your life and understand what hope is and the power of the God of all hope and what He does in our lives and what He will continue to do in our lives because He decides that hope is something He has brought for mankind. I was looking in Webster's Dictionary this morning and it says hope is a feeling of an expectation of something that good is going to happen. And we can understand that because we know fear is almost the opposite. It's a feeling of something that bad is going to happen. And all of our faith is based on this feeling of expectation that something good is going to happen. Because faith is that substance of the things that we hope for. So without hope, our faith really does not work and it becomes benign. And the problem with many Christians today, I feel, is they have lost the hope that God really wants us to have. Now Israel, all those years, were looking for a Messiah to come, a Christ that would be their Savior, and they were looking for Him. And they missed Him when He came. But so many of us here have found him into our life and we started off with that hope and we were running the race and we were doing real good. We were running for God in many ways. I want to tell you of an experience I had this morning. I was sitting in my living room on Christmas Day about the same time 54 years ago. Just the same way, only me and my mom in the house. Just the same today, God took me back there 54 years ago. I was 16 years old. My mom was a security guard. She, I'm a crossing guard. That's all she had. We didn't have hardly any food, didn't have anything. When my dad was rich, we had trees and we had decorations. We had gifts under the tree and everything. But on that day, there was no tree. There was no lights. There was no gifts. There was no food. There was nothing. 54 years ago. And I was just sitting in the living room in a chair and my mom was in the back room and there was no other family coming. There was nobody there. 
And all of a sudden, I heard a knock at the door, and I didn't know what that was. And I went to the door, and somebody was running up the street. And there in front of the door were two bags. Man, I opened up one of those bags, and it was one of these big rubber basketballs. And I looked at that, and tears just flowed down in my eyes. Looked through those bags and brought them in the house. And let me explain to you why tears were falling through my eyes. It wasn't because what was in the bag. It was because I realized somebody cared. Somebody cared. And that day, some, something sprung in my heart in the natural hope. Somebody cared. See, hope is a, is a wonderful thing. And what I want to share with you this morning, I want you to understand about hope in a way that how God has taught me in my life. Now, I'm going to share some things with you today I've never shared with anybody. Because God told me there's somebody here that needs to hear this. And I'm going to go and share some things. And for 52 years, he's never heard me. 42 years, he's never heard me share this. Because hope is so important in these days you're in my life. I want you to attentively listen to me. Turn with me, if you will, to Hosea chapter 2. How many can say hope? It's a wonderful word. In Hosea chapter 2, starting in verse 14 to 16, it says this. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. I will give her vineyards from thence in the valley of Achor for the door of hope. And she shall sing there in those days of her youth and as the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. See, God says there's a door of hope. We all know that Jesus is the door of the sheepfold. But the interesting thing, this door of hope was in the valley of Achor. You remember the story of Achan that had sinned and all Israel was stopped. They couldn't win a victory. They couldn't get with any battle in their life at all. And there they were. And they couldn't go on with God. They couldn't move on to God because there was something wrong in Israel. And God spoke to him. He said, there's sin in the camp. But right there, with sin in the camp, God says there's a door of hope. <laughs> what a wonderful thing. In a valley of all of our troubles, in all of our situations, in all of the hard times in our life, God says there's a door of hope. 54 years ago, sitting there lonely, nobody around, nothing there, whatever, somebody cared there was a door of hope. And hope springs up. And no matter what trouble you're in, no matter what problem you have in your life, no matter what you go through your life, I want you to know today, there is a God of hope that has a door open for you and your family and your children, no matter what problems come. Amen. Naomi was full. She left Israel. 
And she went out on her own. Listen to me today very carefully about something. The world offers false hope. There is no hope in the world. There's no hope in money. There's no hope in jobs. There's no hope in any of that. We seem to hope and find our hope in the wrong things of life. Some people hope from retirement until their bodies get hit and health comes. The devil's out there to rob and blind and destroy in the world. That's all he's doing. But when Naomi went out, she lost all that she had, her husband, her children, whatever. But she saw hope in going back to Jerusalem to God. And there we know the story of Ruth and Boaz and the child that she was given and how she was blessed. The prodigal son had a great inheritance. He went to the world. (laughs) But out there he lost everything. And only when he was in the deepest part of the valley of Achor and all of his troubles... He remembered his father. And hope sprung up in his mind in an expectation that if he went home, something good would happen. The prodigal son, Naomi. Naaman was a man. He didn't know God or anything, but that little woman that was captured gave him hope that if he went to the prophet in Israel, he could be healed. (laughs) Somehow, this man would go to his enemies that he just defeated and asked them to heal him because something sprung up in his heart. Is there hope to be healed? Is it even possible? Is there any way that this thing that doctors can't heal or anybody can't do, is there a real God they can do something in my life or change me or move me or be that force of inertia that we're talking about. They can do something in my life. Is there some hope for my situation? Is there some hope for my family? Is there some hope for my lost child? Is there some hope for my marriage? Is there some hope for my body? Is there some hope for me, God? Jonah found out. He ran from God. (laughs) He thought. But God had a plan. You know, we can't run from God. Some of us here are trying to run from God, trying to do our own thing. And the problem is that we're all tangled up just like Jonah was in the weeds of the world. (laughs) Because God has prepared it all for us because he doesn't want us to run because he knows he's the only hope we have. Hallelujah. There's no other hope for you and I. You can knock on every door you want, and I'm going to tell you there's only one door of hope, and that's His Son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. (laughs) That's why we're celebrating today, because He's the only one that can give you hope. You're trying to get it on your own. You're knocking on every door. You're trying every way, but I'll tell you, there's only one Alpha and Omega. There's only one Creator of Heaven and Earth. There's only one, the Word of became flesh. That's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That's the king of all kings in his name. And he says, come to my door and receive hope today. There's hope for you and I. There's hope. The devil's going to tell you it can't be done. He's going to tell you all things can be done. There's nothing impossible with my God. 
Job, oh boy. Man, his family left him. His wife told him to curse God and die. All of his friends left him. Nobody was around. And yet Job had hope. He said, even though he slay me, I'm going to trust him. <laughs> and you're in my problems and our troubles and our situations. That's just when God comes on the scene. Just when he comes on the scene. All of our troubles find us out, get all around us, and that's just when God shows up in the deepest, darkest times of our life. And listen to me today. There are people out there taking their lives and committing suicide, coming back from the Gulf. Teenagers are committing suicide, and the people of the world are going crazy. When, listen to me, all they would have to do is call on one name. One name. Just one name. Every angel knows the name. Legions of angels know that name. <laughs> All creation knows the name. The trees know the name. The birds, the squirrels, the, the lions, the grass, the fish knows the name. The ravens know that name. And my brother and sister, that name is a name of hope. It's a name above every name that can be named. Every demon trembles at that name. The devil himself trembles at that name. And that name is the name of the Son of the living God, who is not dead but is alive. That is the name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. And we came to celebrate today the name of hope for everyone that will believe in him. There's a door of hope for you and I. David, in all of his troubles, <laughs> committed adultery, committed murder. His son chased him out of the kingdom, slept with all of his wives. Everybody despised him. Shimei cursed him, threw dust in the air about him. And what does he say? In thy word, O Lord, I hope. In your word, I hope. Paul wrote to the Roman church, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. God doesn't lie. God is not a liar. What he says in his word is going to come to pass. He doesn't lie. You and I might not believe the promises of God, but that doesn't matter. Because God's going to do it anyhow. God's going to have a church. He's going to have a bride of Christ. There's going to be a tribulation. There's going to be an antichrist. There's going to be an Armageddon. There's going to be a millennium. And there's going to be a new Jerusalem and the new heaven and the new earth, whether you want to believe it or not. But I'll tell you today, if you come to the door of hope, something can spring up an expectation and a feeling that you haven't had for a long time that will tell you that God has something planned for you and your family. <laughs> he has plans for us in these last days. Oh, we might go through much tribulation to enter the kingdom of God, but we have hope. Because when hope is deferred, that means when we don't have it, our hearts are most miserable. We have a lot of miserable Christians. 
A lot of Christians are going back to drugs, going back to smoking, going back to drinking wine and beer, going back to all kinds of things. But they still, somewhere deep in their heart, they even though they know that they're wrong, they're reaching out and saying, God, help me. See, that's hope. That's hope. There's hope for us. There's hope to make us what he wants us to be. There's hope to make us to be holy as he's holy, without spot, without blemish. Amen. I'm not there, but I know I've got hope that he can do it. Hallelujah. <laughs> if he can do it in my life, I believe he can do it in anybody's life. King David said, Thou art my hope, O Lord, in Psalm 71. He said, Forsake me not when my strength fails, O Lord. He said, But I will hope continually for you that I might show your strength and power to this generation. Hallelujah. You know, most of you really don't know my testimony. And I'm going to share a few things this morning that you might not know about me, but God told me to share them because there's somebody here that really needs hope. But many years ago, I spent seven years in the Marine Corps, and after I was in the Marine Corps, I got married, and I moved back to <clears throat> Maryland. And of course, I had an incurable disease, but I moved back here, and I was here. But there came one day when I was in my apartment by myself. My, my wife was supposed to be at work. There was a knock at the door, and it was one of my neighbors, a lady, and she says, come with me, and she took me to her apartment. And there I found my wife with uh, her husband in bed. Oh, my whole life just fell in a moment. I didn't know what to do. I had a two-year-old son. And so I tried the best that I could compose myself. And two days later, the next thing, my wife left and ran off with this guy and left me with a two-year-old child. I was, I was broken. I went down. I was really low. And I remember I was trying to think, is there anybody I could call? Is there anybody I could talk to? Anybody that I could do? And I took the phone in my hand off the wall, and I went to call somebody, and, and I just stood there. I must have froze, because all of a sudden I kind of was thinking in my mind over and over, and every time I thought of a family member, they had problems, and nobody at work would understand, and who could help me, and whatever. And the next thing I looked at my watch, and I heard the phone, you know that sound when you when you don't have a diet on, just was going. I looked at my watch and two hours had passed. Wow. I went and sat by the table and I was broken and down. I tears running down on my eyes and I was at my bottom. I didn't know what to do, where to go. Nobody to talk to, nobody at all. And at that moment, a song came into my mind. Kindergarten song in church. Jesus loves me, this I know. That's the song that came into my mind. And all of a sudden, I just felt that I could get through the day. The next day I got up, boy, the thing I had to face was, now I had a two-year-old, I'm a man with a two-year-old, I have to find, still got to go to work, I have to find daycare, I have to do all this stuff. And I went through months of troubles and problems and 
trying to get through it. But every day that song kept coming to me. Jesus loves me. Now I'd gone to church all my life, but I wasn't born again. My daddy was a Catholic. My mama was a Methodist. And they compromised and went to a Presbyterian church. And I, I didn't know quite what to do. And after six months, I mean, I had even had to sit in the lawyer's office with this woman on the opposite side of the table and two lawyers trying to decide our seat, not saying anything, and left because I was worried about my son's well-being, who was two years old, not knowing this woman that had left didn't even understand her at all. Not with the woman that I knew, but my whole life was just without direction. I was a ship without a sail. I didn't know what to do. I had no understanding what my life would be or where to go. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I don't know if you've ever been down like that. I don't know if you've ever been poor enough to understand what it is to not have food or clothes or, or whatever. But I know this. I know some, everybody in here has been lonely at some time. And you've been to a place that you don't think that people like you, that you don't have friends, and you wonder what to do in your life. And I know what that feels like. But all of a sudden, after six months, I get a call one day by the police. And the police calls me and they say, are you Mr. Dan? And I said, yes. They said, well... We have your wife here in our office. She was beaten up and she had said, call you. Can you come get her? <laughs> Man, oh, what a thing. Going to a police station to pick up a woman that ran off with some other man. And, and there she is beaten up. And I didn't know what to do with her. So the only thing I could do was take her back to my mom's house. And if my mom, if she could give her a place to stay, I didn't know what to do. Another six months went by and all of a sudden one day, she comes to meet me. She says, listen, I'm so sorry. Is there any way we can get back together? And I said, you know, <laughs> I don't know about that. But I know the only thing that I know, if we got to find Jesus. That would be the only way that we could ever do anything. Because that song was still singing in my mind. And so we went out to Montgomery Hills Baptist Church. And there, God seemed to heal us and work in our life and get us going in the Lord. And it wasn't too long after that that the Lord came to me one day in a vision and I got born again. And all of a sudden, hope started rising in my life again that God had a purpose and a plan for my life. And listen to me today. This might be the Lord's birthday to the world, but to you and I, I believe this is a birth to a new hope in your and my life. You listen to me carefully. That's what the Lord told me today. This is going to be a new day of hope in your life. God has a purpose and a plan for his bride. He has a purpose and his plan for his church. He has a purpose and plan for each and every one here. He has ministries and gifts he wants to give and work in our life. Hope is not something that is dead. Hope is alive because our God is a God of all hope and our Lord is alive. Hallelujah. And he's the same Lord. His name is spoken by every angel. Michael knows his name. Gabriel knows his name. Every devil knows his name. But they fear and tremble. But you and I rejoice at that name. We worship him and praise him. Because he's worthy of all praise. It doesn't matter what valley you're going through. I'll tell you, when you're low, you got somebody by your side. Because I found him by my side. In all of my low places, he was holding my hand. He walked with me and carried me many times in my life. When I've been hungry, he brought me food. When I was naked, he brought me clothes. When I was alone, 
glory to God. He has fought every battle for me. And there's been many to fight. Israel had this problem. They came to a place in their life that they felt that they had no hope. Not just in Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones, but they came to a place that they felt there was no hope and God had left them because of their lives and what they were doing. In Isaiah chapter 49, This wonderful prophet <clears throat> told us about the virgin birth, the sign that God would give us. This wonderful prophet that told us about God would give us a son. His name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. The government should be upon his shoulders. The one that told us that he would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our inequities, and the chastisement of our peace would be upon him, and by his stripes there would be healing. The same prophet comes to Israel in Isaiah 49. In verse 14 he says this, Can a woman forget her suckling child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. You know, I can see Jesus in heaven today for you and I. Every time he looks at his hand, he sees that nail scar. He remembers it. Because that cross gave you and I hope. That every sin that we have would be blotted out. He went to the cross for you and I. To give us a door of hope. Because God had promised us everlasting life. We don't have to die. We're going to live forever because he lives. We live. And this hope is so important because the devil wants to rob it from us. He wants to take it away. He'll remind us of all the trials and the troubles and the problems. He'll remind us of our children running to the world. He'll remind us of the broken marriages. He'll remind us of our children and all the things that happened in the lost jobs. He'll remind us of every sin that we ever did, even as a Christian. <laughs> but Jesus is looking at his hand and he says, your name is engraved right here. I know your name. I know who you are. As a mother can't even forget her child. Is there one mother in here that's birthed a baby that can forget them? Come on. You'll never forget your child. I've been out in the prison and I've seen guys locked up in Puerto Rico for life. I've seen their mothers out there coming to visit them even though that she doesn't agree because they love their children. Even when they fail, they're going to pray for them and love them. And God says... I will never forget you. Even before we were made in our mother's womb, he knew who we were. And he knew the purpose and the calling on each and every one of our lives. 
Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Why is hope so important for your life and mine? Because it's an expectation of what God wants to do in our life. Some of us are just drifting along on the waters of life. We have no purpose or calling of what God wants to do, but we we come to church and we believe that God is with us. And yet when all the troubles and the problems come, we, we call upon God, we come to church and we say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm here, but yet in our hearts we we feel away from God. We feel that we don't have a purpose or a calling. But in Hebrews chapter 6, in verse 17, it says, Wherein God more willingly to abundantly show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of the counsel he confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. What were those two things that God said that could never lie? Number one, he said, thou art my son, and I, right? They heard the voice at water of baptism. Thou art my son, my begotten thee. And he said this, thou art a priest forever after the orders of Melchizedek. Not only did Jesus come here and die for our sin, but now he's in heaven interceding for us every moment of the hour of the day for each and every one of us that we would fulfill the purpose that God has called us by hope. It says that these people have fled their old lives for the hope that was before them. Have you given up the past? Are you holding on to a hope that maybe God has something for you? Are you going to grab it today and say, Lord, whatever you want for my life, here I am. I'm willing, just show me. I can't do it on my own. But Lord, whatever you want, open the door of hope and I'll, I'll, I'll follow, Lord. That's what hope is. It's a feeling of expectation. Hope that's seen is not hope. It's what you don't see that's hope. You want a change in your life? Hallelujah, there's hope. Hallelujah. You need healing? There's hope. You need deliverance? There's hope. You need your bills paid? There's hope. Glory to God. I could sit here all day and give you cheery things of my life, how I've gone through and the failings that I did and all the things, but I'm going to tell you, he was always there by my side. If you get towed into the fiery furnaces of this world, he'll be there dancing with you. Glory to God, like Meshach Meshach and Abednego. He won't leave you, nor forsake you, for he has boldly said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Hallelujah. He can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. He's my hope. He is our hope. And it says here in verse 19, this hope that we have as an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into within the veil, whether the forerunner for us is entered, even Jesus made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Hope is an anchor. That's why it's so important in each one of our lives. That's why God wants that gift you have it today when you leave. Because when you have an anchor, when the storms come and the winds blow, your ship won't be moved. Hallelujah. 
My anchor is a rock of salvation. Can you say amen to that? I'm standing on the rock. Let the storms come. Let the winds blow. Let the floods come in. But when they do, my house will not fail. Because I have hope, glory to God, in the rock, not in me. I have hope in the word of God. I have hope that God will let that name of Jesus be lifted up in my life. When I'm sick, I have hope that he can heal me. When I need deliverance, I have hope that he can deliver me from my enemies. When I need food, I have hope that he knows all about food. He knows all about clothes. He just told me to seek the kingdom of God. And seek his righteousness. And everything should be given unto What an anchor we have. <laughs> an anchor means that it's not the boat. It's not the boat. No, it's not you and I. We're not the anchor. The anchor is Jesus. Amen. And it's promised to us. You see, he's promised us that he's going to prepare a place for us. Now, I don't know about you where you're putting your hope. If you're putting your hope in this world, my brother and sister, change it today. Erase it. <laughs> Because you're going to find out in this world it's going to fall apart because the word God says that. There's going to be an antichrist and the system risen up in the world that you and I will not be able to change or do anything about. Other people are going to be making decisions for your children and for your marriage and for your life and for your cars and everything that you have. You won't be able to do anything. And if you're not ready when the Lord comes back, you're going to go into that tribulation and you're going to either have to take a mark of the beast and if you do you're going to go to hell that's what the bible says there's no hope but if you don't take it you have hope of dying as a martyr and going to heaven so in the tribulation you have two choices either live for god and die as a martyr against the whole world because the whole world is going to hate you or take the mark with the world and compromise and when you do all hope is gone. But now we have two choices. The same way. We have a choice to reach to the hope to be the bride of Christ and have a work completed in our life that God started. Or the second choice is to go into tribulation. There's only two choices for us. Either be the bride of Christ or to go into tribulation. There's no other choices. Read the word of God from the beginning to the end. And you'll find out there's only two choices. Either live for God with the hope he gives us, or there's no hope. And the world doesn't have the hope that you and I have. And that hope is an anchor that God has promised us eternal life through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are today, maybe years ago you made a commitment for Jesus, but you're not running the race anymore. Maybe you're just sitting by the sideline. I'm telling you today, there's hope because God wants to do something in your life. Hallelujah. God wants to do something in the church. God's going to make this church the most glorious church you can ever be. The latter church is going to be more glorious than the beginning church. You're going to see signs and wonders. You're going to see people healed and the dead raised and the eyes open and ears open. And you're going to see it and you can be a part of it. Because there's hope for you and I. This door of hope is a door you have to walk into and stand. Make hope your anchor today. Make hope the thing that you want more than anything else. 
You know, when I was on the mission field, and I've been on the mission field for many, many years, I was in an organization, they'd always send me out by myself, and I'd be out there with a wife and some kids, and I had the responsibility to make sure that they were fed and whatever, and they never sent me any money or whatever. They wanted to see me fail, but I never failed. Never. God always saved souls. He always built churches. He always did that. <laughs> and I would have some of the other workers say, well, how, how are you doing that? Right? I said, I'm not. He's there. He's always there. One time we were sent to start a work in Cleveland, Ohio. It was on the street called 81st in Rockland. They had had a a riot in Cleveland years before and they burned out 80 blocks of houses, 80 blocks. And this was on the 81st. And it was right there. Very poor neighborhood. And that's where God had given us a place to start this work and we had a few souls that were there. But after a while, I remember one night, I remember very clearly, we said the kids, put them in bed. I had my brother there, we had one, two, well, Steve had, what, four children at that time, and I think I had three. That's seven kids, and everybody ate, whatever, and there was no food left in the house at all. Here, nothing. There wasn't even any mayonnaise. There was nothing. All gone. And the next morning, like normal, we got up for our morning prayer, and our morning praise, and nobody was saying anything, but we got up and we started doing everything like we normally do. And we were in the middle of prayer, and all of a sudden, heard this knock at the front door. And I didn't know what to do, so I had to stop prayer, and I went to the door, because we were in a room like this, and the front door was right there, so you have to stop prayer to go to the door. And there was a guy there from the electric company, and there was two trucks out front. And he said, sir, he said, uh, we have an issue here. One year ago to the day, the same day, one year ago, on the day, that day, the owner had given permission for the electric company to trim the trees on the back lines of the house. I said, well, if the owner had given them permission, it's okay with me. They said, okay. So they went around to the back alley and they're there and of course, now we had to stop prayer because the kids wanted to see the guys work and whatever, you know. And, and we had a three-level house, and so they got up on the porch from the top level in the back porch, and they're watching. And this guy brings his big bucket, and he's going to cut the thing. And the guy yells down at me, and he says, Sir, do you mind if we shake the tree? I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> so, what? He said, it's an apple tree. Apple tree? <laughs> Shake it, brother! <laughs> he shook that tree, and I'm telling you, my brother, his wife, the wife, the kids, they got so excited, they got all the pots and pans in the house, and they came out and picked up hundreds of apples. <laughs> I don't know what you think we had for breakfast, lunch, and dinner that day. <laughs> God is so faithful. Another time, we were right there in Cleveland, and they're getting ready to send me off to go up to uh, Northwest Territories to a place to hold some revival meetings. And I've got to drive in a car to go to Toronto, and I had one dollar. <laughs> little bit of gas in the car, but that's all I had. 
And guess what? We had no food. So they sent from Washington two brothers, Rick and, and Woody. These are big guys, and they have to eat. We have no food in the house, right? So I get in the car, and they say, how are you going to go? And I said, well, by faith, praise the Lord. And I just took off. Well, I made it to Toronto. But the interesting thing, when I took off, another car pulled around the corner. Pulled up at the house. It was some family down in Ohio that just felt that God wanted to give us a half a cow. Hallelujah. These guys, when I was gone, were eating steaks. <laughs> Almost every day. And you know what? He was just loving it, right? He was a big guy. They were eating steak. You know, when I came back, the last steak was gone. God did this continually. He always, always was with me in every trouble, in every trial that was there. One day when we were there, I was sitting there and I was talking to a girl who was a Jewish girl and I met her that Friday night before it was Tuesday and we were in a home meeting and she came to me and she asked me, she said, can I ask you a question, Pastor? She said, I'm Jewish, but I'm converted. I'm a Christian. I said, praise God for that. I've never met one before, but praise the Lord, you know. And she said, yes. She said, but I went to my pastor and I wonder if you'd give me some counsel. I said, well, what is it? She says, well... I've been living in an apartment, and she said, my husband committed suicide and killed himself on our bed and hung himself. And I went to my pastor, and I said, can I move? And he said, no, stay there and get the victory. She said, what do you say? I said, move out right away, I'll help you back. <laughs> right? So Tuesday, she calls me Monday, and she said, can I come see you Tuesday? So she came Tuesday, and we're sitting in the kitchen, and all of a sudden, as we're talking, and she was asking me questions about the Lord and the church or whatever, my wife comes running in with my daughter. You see, on the front of the church, there was like six cement steps coming up to the porch. And my little girl, Amy, was three years old, and she was running up to go there, and she fell, and she fell right into the, the step, right with her teeth, and busted her lips, and her teeth were back in her mouth, and... She was a bleeding mess, and my wife just picked her up and walked her right in the kitchen, and she says, we have an emergency. All I could do was say, in Jesus' name, I couldn't even touch her. When she came through the door, I just saw that. And immediately, all the teeth came back down, everything was healed, and it was all gone. Immediately. And that Jewish girl saw that. And by the way, that Jewish girl now is a missionary serving the Lord. See, God uses our trouble and our problems for good reason. See, the problems you have today and the troubles you have today, it doesn't mean you don't have hope. But I believe God wants to use them for somebody else and for some good reason. Because when you have hope and you get through that problem, because hope is an anchor when all the storms stop and you get through it, somebody's going to see something in your life that God has done. And that light that you're shining that we were singing about today is going to shine forth and you're going to be able to tell them who has done it. Hallelujah. That Jesus Christ was with you through all the trials and all the troubles, just like Job. Hallelujah. God will reward you double in the end if you only hold on. I could sit here all morning and tell you on Christmas Day the things that the Lord has done like that over and over. I can tell you how he, he's kept me, how he's fed me, how he's paid rent for me. I can tell you how he's given gas in the car. I can tell you how I've driven cars for two or three hours without any gas in the car. 
I can tell you the miracles he's done, whatever, but that's not the point. The point is, is he's the God of hope. And where you are today is not where God wants you to be. And you have to realize that God has put some hope in your heart. And I know that because you're thinking right now in your mind, yes, Lord, yes, I want this. There's a thought going through your mind right now of something that you'd like God to do in your life. And that proves to me that God has given you hope. I could tell you some sad stories. But in every sad story I have, there was somebody holding my hand. Hallelujah. He never has left me, even when I was unsaved. See, my dad was a drunkard. He came out of the Navy out of World War II, and he had a mental problem they couldn't figure out. He wasn't crazy, but his mind, he would just get these twirling motions in his mind, and he didn't know what to do. The only way he could stop it, he started to drink. And he got so much drinking alcohol, he'd been in every, every government program, every program in suburban and, and uh, every program in town he'd been into. And finally, they put him way up in Ellicott City in a program for almost a year. And that's the way I grew up without a dad from 11 years old up. And I knew that. And when he came out of that program and he came back, I used to have to pick him up down on the streets, uh, drunk on the streets. I had to, people call me from restaurants. He was drunk and I had to go get him just to see if we could have any little money left from his work. And my dad ended up being the system plumbing inspector in Washington, D.C. He was a brilliant man, but he had a sickness and disease. Thank God one day he got saved. But listen to me how he got saved. You don't know how many times I was at the altar in the Assembly of God Church weeping and crying for my dad. You have no idea. No matter how bad my dad was, and I've seen things in my house I can't even tell you about. But I was like, and I would pray to God that he would save his soul. My mom would pray, and we would pray at the altar. I'd be the last one to leave an altar in the Assembly of God Church, weeping and crying. And when I had a chance, I would talk to God all the time. Well, years went by, and I'd put him in God's hands, and I didn't see anything. And one time, we were, I was walking back from uh, Fourth and Butternut, and I was walking up the street. And I was just walking up the street, and I came by this the, the bank, and I heard these two police officers call my name, and they said, Pastor Dan, we want to talk to you. I said, boy, what did I do? <laughs> police car waiting for me to come, and two policeman there, a man and a woman. We want to talk to you. I said, how do you know my name? They said, we all know your name. We remember when you got locked up with this guy and put in the jail, right? Yeah, we, we got put in the jail together a few times. Well, once. And then they said to me, your dad's an alcoholic and a drunk. Yeah, it's true. My dad would walk from our house to Carroll Avenue, go all the way down to Langley Park to Larry Rickers. And then he'd walk back up drunk and he would stumble and cry and drunk and drink and fall into the weeds and everything happened. One time even the fire truck brought him home to our house. It was so embarrassing. And they said, why don't you put your dad in, in uh, the Adventist alcohol help place? I said, I... If that's what the Lord wants, I said, well, they said, look, we're Christians. you got to do something for your dad. You're a pastor. You're Christians. I said, look, he's been in that place six times. He's been in suburban. He's been here. He's been there. And they said, oh, we never knew that. We thought you weren't doing anything for your dad. 
I looked them in the eyes. I said, why don't you do your job? And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, if he's drunk on the street, arrest him for being drunk and disorderly. <laughs> they backed off, got in their car and drove up. <laughs> One month later, my dad got arrested walking up the street by those two police officers. Yeah, but this time he wasn't really drunk. See, my dad had an operation. He walked kind of like a penguin like this. And he walked up and he sat in the bus stop. And, and that day he couldn't get any drink because he, he had walked down and he walked up and they arrested him, took him into jail. But it scared my dad to death. And my dad gave his heart to Jesus Christ and got saved. If there's anybody that you couldn't have hoped for, it would have probably been my dad. But since we have the God of all hope, there's nothing impossible for the Lord. Nothing impossible for the Lord. I'm going to finish right now. I want to ask you something. <coughs> what thoughts have you been having when I've been sharing? Seriously. What's been going through your mind? Has hope arisen? Have you been thinking about something in your life? See, there's some people here I know God has spoken <coughs> to a long time ago that they should be doing something for the Lord. And you want to, you just don't know how it's possible to do it. I don't even know how it's possible, but I know this is hope. There's hope. <laughs> Amen. There's some of you young people here who think you're going to run and go your own way in life, and I'm going to tell you, it ain't going to happen. Because we serve a God of all hope. There's hope for you. There's hope. Some people are having trouble in their marriages, in their life, in their finances, and I'm going to tell you today, there is hope. God is a God of hope. And it's a feeling, when you have that feeling and you start to wonder if God can do something, that's hope. And that's a gift that God is giving today to all of us. Without hope, we can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. Be most miserable. Our lives will go the same. But I believe today that anybody come to this altar right here, right here, Whatever it is in your heart you've been thinking about, I believe God will do. You know why? Because he told me this morning to do it. I don't open my personal life very much, and I opened up some stuff today that I've never shared with any church before, but I shared it because God wants to do something today in the door of hope. Will you stand with me, please? Oh, come let us.